Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Good afternoon. It is Friday, May 14th, and this is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. And our guest today is Leslie Truex. And Leslie has written a, a very interesting book and has a, an interesting story behind that to tell uh, about successfully working at home. And her book is called The Work at Home Success Bible. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Great. Well, Leslie, why don't you give us a little bit of your personal background and then We'll dive right into talking about the book. Okay. Well, um, I started out like a lot of women do in terms of I, I was a, had a regular job. I was a social worker by training and uh, at the time was working in schools, uh, working with kids and their parents. Uh, but when I started having my own kids, I found that whole super mom thing um, really difficult. Um, I wasn't very good at it. I didn't like it very much, and I really wanted to be home with the kids but didn't think I could afford it. And so I went on the hunt to find ways to work from home, and like a lot of people, I went about it the wrong way uh, and found a lot of crazy scams and schemes. But eventually I was able to figure out that I needed to use the talents and skills I had, and I, I did telecommute for a while. Um, I've telecommuted as a social worker. I actually still do some contract work as an adoption social worker, so it allows me to stay in my field. Uh, but in about 1998, I started posting these things I was discovering and learning about working at home at a, on a website, and that site over the years has grown and taking advantage of many of the opportunities that the Internet provides. Um, it actually started making me some money, too. And um, from there, um, I decided to write a book. Uh, I really wanted to write about telecommuting, uh, but the publisher said, you know, we want the book that explains it all. So I set out to write the book that I wish had existed uh, when I started out, when I wanted to work at home, and, and that became the Work at Home Success Bible. And, Leslie, when you, when you set out to write the book, uh, I know you said you wanted to write it uh, about telecommuting, but... Did you set out to to try to help people understand how to be successful working for themselves at home, or or as you laid out the the outline for the book, um, is it just as applicable for those people who work at home occasionally or who manage people who work at home? Because I know that is just growing by leaps and bounds. Well, the book is really geared towards people who are are looking for a way to, to basically work from home, whether that's through telecommuting or freelancing or some sort of Internet thing. But some of the information that would be in there, particularly around telecommuting, um, for example, I talk about the telecommuting agreement and how to talk to employers. Uh, and so it takes into account that, particularly in telecommuting, it's, it's really a two-way thing and that managers – really need to sort of understand uh, that a telecommuter will be working at home. They need to come up with a strategy to um, make the managers and bosses feel comfortable with that by somehow proving that they are working while they're at home. Right. Um, because a lot of times, you know, out of sight, out of mind type of thing, and they're wondering, are you doing your laundry and watching Oprah, or are you actually working type of thing? 
So the the book talks to the person. Or are you working work while you're watching Oprah and doing your laundry? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which and, is the reality you know, of mean, how we work. Exactly. But, you know, if you're at an office, you're working, and, you know, there might be other stuff going around you, too. Um, and it, what we know is the studies show that uh, telecommuting is actually very productive, um, that they, there's a tendency to get a lot of work done in a less amount of time. Um, because you don't have some of the distractions that take place in an office. But the chapters really talk about that in terms of understanding um, that an employer doesn't really care about your commute. Um, the employer's <laughs> going to want to know that they're getting their money and I'm work. sure you're laughing about that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, or your child care hassles or whatever it is, the reason you want to work at home. But, you know, and so you really have to sell it in terms of the benefit to the employer. Um, and so as an employer, you know, if they want to, I mean, I don't know that an employer would look at the book, but it really sort of talks to to them as well in terms of, you know, this is how it can work for you and these are how you negotiate how it can work for you, for you both. Well, let's start um, by talking about the realities of, of living and working in the same place because um, I know that that's one of the first things that you address in your book. Um, what did you find uh, in, in your own personal reality when when you decided that you wanted to do this? Well, the first week or so that I was home full-time, I didn't get very much work done because I sort of thought, oh, I'll keep my house clean, and um, I, I wasted a lot of time <laughs> and um, quickly learned, okay, now I need to have a schedule and, and be organized, and I need to know when I sit down what it is I'm actually working on. Because uh, a lot of time can be wasted in the trying to figure out what you're supposed to be doing even phase. You know, you sort of mm-hmm. sit down and maybe you check email because that's easy, but then you're like, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> thing. Right. So really getting organized in terms of knowing what it is you're working on every time you sit down so you, so that you're actually getting into it and not, you know, wasting a lot of time on Twitter or, or you know, the other things that keep you busy but not necessarily productive. And so what have you found that works for you in organizing your day? Because, you know, I, I have worked at home now for almost three years, and and I have to tell you that, that that has been my single biggest challenge. And I've tried a couple of different things. We've had, uh, you know, different folks on on the egg call talking about what they have done, and, and one woman shared that she actually, you know, scheduled blocks of time on the calendar. And, you know, I've tried that, but now, you know, months later, I still have a, a, a message popping up at 4.30 every day telling me to, you know, go through my email or to go through my calendar. Um, and, you know, I'm not disciplining myself to do that. So what's worked for you, Leslie? Yeah. You know, the thing I have found, because I am organizationally challenged, <laughs> um, I really do struggle uh, with that. And I've learned in all the different books I've read that really you're going to you have to find your own thing because I have multiple streams of income the block thing doesn't necessarily work for me because I, I mean I might have a 15 minute block here for this and a 45 minute block for that and a 2 minute block for this right. um so that doesn't really work and basically what I have and it's actually at this point on paper because I find that uh paper allows me to jot notes while I'm going along um, of things that pop up into my head that will disappear if I don't write them down. And and on my paper, I can see my whole week on that paper, and I'll have the things that I know absolutely I do every day, which could be, um, you know, obviously checking my email, but it might be a blog post. 
and I'll have a line open so I can write in, okay, what am I going to blog about today? Um, but then under that day, I'll have some free lines. So, you know, the week, the Sunday night before, that Monday morning when I'm planning, I can plan all the other projects that need to be done that maybe aren't a weekly thing, um, but th- that I'm going to work on them. And then I just sort of work through each thing every day. And, of course, if it doesn't get done, one has to kind of get moved down to the next day. But to a certain extent, I'm doing a lot of the same things uh, every day. So you've got sort of the routine that keeps your momentum going. But I also have enough new projects to keep it kind of interesting and not getting too bored either. Mm-hmm. But that's what I find. It's, sort of, it's, I, it's essentially a to-do list, but... Um, it allows me to see the whole – I need to see my whole week. I'm a very visual person, so I really have to see things. I'm, I'm very visual as well. In my, my old office, uh, when we owned an office building, I had a glass block wall in my office that separated my office and, and the conference room. And I used uh, colored sticky notes to organize what had to be done. And so, you know, because glass blocks line up very nicely, you know, I would put, uh, you know, one column would be one thing and, and another column would be another thing. And I, I really miss that. And I, I know I could probably recreate it in my office now, but it's it's uh, not quite as easy because, of course, um, you know, my, my office is in an open loft, uh, which my family passes regularly. And, yes. uh so that makes it challenging too because I don't have a door. So what do you what do you tell people when they're getting started about how do they organize their home office? And I see you have a chapter called Home Sweet Home Office. Yes. I well, it, you know, the organizational thing it's personal. I I just tell people it's kind of like your purse. So, <laughs> I mean, Uh-oh. some purses you really love because they're great and they really work for you, and other purses don't. You know what I mean? Um, it's really individual. Um, but in terms of setting up the office, ideally you do need a door. And I, I haven't had a door since I moved out. I was in a closet. But, of course, I couldn't shut the door when I was working. But but my right. first office was in a coat closet. Um, now I have a room, and it and it's kind of set apart, but I kind of know what's going on. And when the kids were littler, that was sort of important because I had to have my ear out for them. Now that they're older, it's not that big a deal, but I've sort of also been able to learn how to, you know, close off sort of that external noise. But if you can have your own room, that's even better because it, you can have a symbolic sort of the door is shut, I'm working, or the door is shut, the office is closed type of thing, right. which I think is really ideal. Of course, you want to have, you know, a desk that meets your needs. Um, I tend to spread out a lot because I'm organizationally challenged, and so i got a lot of piles of stuff, so I have a right. pretty big desk. Uh, you know, I have a lot of books that I like to refer to. As much as I, you, I can keep things close, I feel like, you know, the easier you can access the tools that you're going to need, um, the better. Uh, so if you're going to access files, you know, have your file cabinet fairly close to you so you don't have to get up and walk to the other side of the room type of thing. Mm-hmm. Comfortable chair and good lighting obviously are really important because, um, you know, you're sitting a lot. And, uh, you know, we hear all sorts of stories about people who are getting all sorts of ills and ailments based on the fact that they don't have a great chair or they don't have enough support and they're typing and they're getting carpal tunnel or they're getting eye strain. So those are some of the things that you need to keep you know, keep in mind as you're setting up your office. Um, I need a lot of um, natural sunlight, so I've set it up that I can have that during the day. Mm-hmm. And um, Because otherwise I get kind of 
blue and gloomy <laughs> if I don't yeah, have natural I'm, sun. I'm actually very, very fortunate because my office, uh, you know, looks out over a marina, so I've got, you know, not only natural light, but I've got water and palm trees, and it doesn't oh, get much nice. better than that when it comes yeah. to home offices. But, you know, I do really miss the ability to close the door or at least, again, to symbolically let the kids know that now is a time when you can't come in. And, you know, they I, I wear a headset a lot because uh, I'm on the phone so much. And, you know, so they, they tend to think that when I have the headset on that I'm on a conference call and that they can't talk to me. So I, <laughs> I, I know none of you have ever done this on an airplane, but, you know, I, I used to put a headset on even if there was nothing at the other end <laughs> because if I didn't feel like talking, the person next to you generally wouldn't bug you. And uh, But, you know, that, that actually doesn't always work because they've gotten wise to me and they go downstairs and look to see if the light's on on the phone Ah, there <laughs> to see you if go. I'm on yeah. a call. Um, so, wonders you know, pushing with children. Yeah, <laughs> short, of, short of, of, of the kids' side of thing, you know, what about dealing with the significant other, husband, spouse, um, you know, the, the person who would like for you to be accessible for everything um, and, you know, just because you are working at home believes that you know, they can have that intrusion right. Yeah. Because it's not I, um, just kids. <laughs> right, right. And I think, well, there's a lot of misconceptions that come with working at home because you have it with the neighbors too or something. You know, they'll come over and want you to babysit their kids and you're kind of like, well, wait a minute, I'm working here. Right. Um, and, of course, I was very fortunate to have a spouse that was pretty much you can do whatever you want to do as long as we don't end up in the poorhouse type of thing. Um, but... It, over the course of the years that I've been working with people, I, you know, I, they'd tell me things like, well, my husband won't let me do that. And it always shocked me because it would never occur to me to ask permission. But what I realize is a lot of times, you know, we know what we know really well. We're either researching or a business we want to start or, you know, trying to find a way to work from home. And we're getting lots of information and we're gathering a lot of information. We're making decisions about that. But the spouse doesn't necessarily know that. All they sort of see is their wife saying, I'm going to quit my job or whatever, which is very scary to them. So I think as much as keeping them in the loop, but also, again, you're setting boundaries because they do have this, like, well, you're home all day. What are you doing? Why isn't my dinner ready type of thing Um, Mm -hmm. if you have a family like that type, you know. and so, you know, and it could be that you've got your schedule, even if it's not in blocks, but you're like, you know, I'm working, um, you know, from 9 till 5, and then, you know, just like anybody else, and then at 5.30 I can go ahead and start dinner or whatever it is. But, you know, having schedules, but keeping everybody in the loop, go ahead and enlist their help. I mean, you're still working. If you were working outside the home, you'd be enlisting their help and, right. you know, all that kind of stuff. And if you have children home, you're working in an, you're working in odd blocks of time. You know, I know when my kids were little, I might work an hour, and then I would take a half hour you know, to do something with them or to make sure they're okay, and then you're back on for an hour. And, of course, right. you do that all day, you're working well into the night you know, uh, to exactly. get it all done. So I think mostly it's just um, keeping keeping communication open and letting them know what's going on and, and, so, and sometimes even allowing them to participate in sort of the decisions that are being made about the business or whatever mm-hmm. um, or reap some of the rewards. Um, that you you get from the business as well. And so let's talk about telecommuting. And I want to back up a little bit to uh, talking your boss 
into allowing you to work from home and, and what really is the best approach. Because as, as you have mentioned, it, it isn't terribly effective to try to uh, share your plight with them uh, because that's really not what, what they signed on for. You know, they wanted somebody who was going to be available. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. Well, and you know, when I say that, it's not that your boss might not be sympathetic to the challenges, but ultimately you're right. You know, they have hired you to get a job done, and they want you to get the job done. Um, So really the best way to approach a boss about working at home is to really sort of analyze your job and, and, you know, make a list of the things that can be done home. You may not have a job that can be done 100% from home, but maybe you can do it two or three days from home and, and be on site. Mm-hmm. So you want to identify the things that can be done from home versus those things that can be done on site. And then you want to look at, does your company already have some flexible work options? You know, what is their openness? Um, are there other people who work at home or do some sort of flex option, even if it's not an official policy? Um, you know, a lot of companies don't have an official policy, but, you know, sometimes they allow people, to, you know, Friday afternoons to cut out early or, mm-hmm. you know, if, they, if their work is done. So, you know, looking at that and also looking at your industry, because there's some industries um, in which there might be some companies in which they're very progressive and they do have telecommuting programs and maybe your company hasn't adopted it yet. But if you can, you know, if you can go to a boss and say, look, you know, ABC company who's our competitor or who is similar to us or whatever, you know, they're doing it and they're having lots of success, you know, that can help. It, it gives a little more credibility to what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I encourage people to write a work-at-home proposal where they really thought out what are the hours you're going to work, when are you home? When are you in sight? How are people going to stay connected to you? Because that's a real issue in terms of, you know, how can they get in touch with you if they have a question? What kind of equipment do you have at home already to get this job done? Um, how are they going to know that you're working? And, you know, having been caught at, I've, you know, I've gotten calls where I've been at the beach, you know. Right. Um, but my work was done. My work was done. And But, you know, on their end, they're going to be like, what, what, why is she at the beach? type of thing. So you have to have sort of a reporting mechanism in there, and you want it to be something measurable. You know, you can't just say, oh, I put in eight hours, because how, how do they really know that? So it's, you right. know, how many reports did you get done? How many calls did you make? How many, you know, whatever it is in your job that can be measurable that you can let them know about and how often you're going to let them know about it. So you're really sort of boss-focused in terms of, and if any time that you can tell them, look, it's going to save you money because I'm not going to be, you know, we have to share computers now, and if I'm working at home, we won't have to share computers. Or, you know, there's not enough parking um, spaces, so, you know, that won't be an issue type of thing. So anytime you're solving a problem by working at home, that's a good thing, too. <laughs> um, and then there's lots of research on the Internet. I would just get copies of some of that research to sort of support your claim that this Well, that was work. my next People question is, yeah, you talked about productivity because, um, you know, I, I think it's very interesting to watch what has happened as companies cut back and cut back and cut back. And I, I was thinking back to the days uh, in corporate life when we actually, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> had receptionists and and where, you know, you'd walk into an office and there was a receptionist. And so many companies now have done away with that position. And you know, or where you had a ratio of administrative people of, uh, you know, maybe eight or ten uh, people to one admin, and now you've, you know, you're lucky if you have, 
you know, two admins in a company, and usually, you know, those two are devoted to, uh, you know, senior executives. And and so how in, in that kind of environment can we actually play the productivity card? Because right now we're having to do so much for ourselves anyway. Um, and in, in many cases, I mean, I remember when I was in an office, the, the amount of actual interaction of people poking their head in and saying, hey, can I talk to you, was pretty minimal. And and so I was, you know, I could have been working anywhere. The fact that I had an office in a corporate uh, setting, you know, was really immaterial. Right. Well, again, you need to focus on how how do you measure what you get done. And a lot of places do that now automatically. You know, they you've got your annual reviews and you have to write your goals and, you know, what you're going to do. So they already Many places already have something in place that you're evaluated on, and you're going to be working off of that. But here's the thing, because, you know, a lot of people that are on site aren't necessarily very productive at all. They're getting up, and they're going to talk to the neighbor, uh, you know, or they're, you know what I mean? They're at the water cooler. They're getting the coffee. When you're at home by yourself, there's nobody to go stand by the refrigerator and talk to. (laughs) So there's only so much time. So you, you can sort of talk about, you know, the social elements that that might distract people from work, of course, um, are going going to be gone. Um, but then you're really focusing, too, on, okay, these are the activities that I'm responsible for doing, and here's how I'm going to get them done. And the more often you can stay in touch, because, again, your boss cannot poke in on you and look at you, but if you have a daily report that goes to them in the afternoon or something saying, you know, here's what I got done, um, or, and you're connecting with the people on your team somehow. And, of course, many places are computerized now, and so a lot of these connections are being made through an intranet anyway. You know, you no longer have to get up and go up two flights of stairs to talk to Sally Sue. You can email right. her right through the company system. So, you know, many places have it set up, and it really becomes a mindset issue in terms of can they believe that you can get the work done? Um, what are, are your coworkers going to be um, resentful if they let one person work at home? And right. um, my answer to that is every job has its perks. Telecommuting is something that you earn, and no, not everybody can do it, but not everybody always gets paid the same either, even for the same job, right? That if, mm-hmm. if, if I've worked at my company 10 years and that person's worked one year, odds are I'm getting paid more. Um, so I, I've earned that, and maybe I've also earned the right to telecommute too. So, um, you know, you do have to anticipate some of the concerns and see if you can't um, offset those uh, as well. The other thing I wanted to mention because you brought up is companies right now are more open to telecommuting because it is a way to save money. Right. And the thing that I'm wanting to watch is when the economy improves, will they be bringing those people back on site? And, and well, I think the I'm other statistic that I've heard, Leslie, is actually the number of people who are, are shown in the unemployed ranks actually is not correct because a lot of people are working on contract. And not not consulting per se as as you know forming a consulting firm and bidding out business, but actually contracting with their employer, uh, perhaps even their former employer, um, you know just to work on a contract basis, and maybe it's on a project by project basis, or or maybe it's just a certain number of hours a week. So they've turned what used to be a full time salaried position into not only telecommunicating or <laughs> telecommunicating, yeah, uh, that's the challenge, uh, telecommuting. <laughs> 
but also, you know, into a way to help the employer reduce their overall expense burden for salaries and benefits, uh, while at the same time being able to stay connected. And, you know, I, I have heard of a number of people who have taken that approach. Yeah, because obviously it saves the employer a great deal of money, um, and many many employees are kind of nervous about it, but there are some advantages to it for them as well. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right that many companies are sort of converting their employees to contract workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in fact, it, I, I think the I, – I can't remember. I'll have to search for the statistic because it was actually a startling percentage of, of – um, you know, the, again, the people that are shown in the un- unemployed ranks who really are not. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that companies and employees need to watch for that is that the IRS has some very strict rules about how contract worker versus employee, their definitions <laughs> vary. Right. So if a company moves a, an employee to a contract position but continues to treat them kind of like an employee, they may still be an employee, which can create some tax issues. For, right. for that person who's working. So it becomes really important to kind of stay on top of that. Well, my favorite thing about the contractor law is that you have to be free to work anywhere you want and any time you want. And, yeah. and the employer can't dictate where that happens. Yeah. And, uh, and they can't, you know, employers actually can that, say this is what we want, but they can't really tell them how to do it. <laughs> type right. Of thing. Right. But, you know, yeah. it's, it's an interesting part of that whole negotiating ploy that we talked about earlier, that right. if your company is having any kind of financial stress and you're worried about being laid off, you might want to think about putting together a proposal of, you know, going independent. But one of the criteria of that is you can no longer tell me when and where I need to be. And, and you know, I do commit to getting deliverables done that you need to have done, but, you know, we're going to measure those and we're, we're going to, you know, have an agreed-upon deliverable schedule, which can actually work a lot better for employers. Yeah, and, and it can work a lot better for employees, too, you know, because they gain that flexibility that they want. Many people are kind of afraid of it because, again, the tax issues come up, but there's so many benefits if you just take the time to learn it. It can be win-win all around. I think. Now, I know, Leslie, that, that your book also deals with people actually going into business for themselves. And, you know, we have got a lot of people in the Executive Girlfriends group that have been uh, what we like to call in-between successes uh, for quite some time. And, you know, it's, it's tempting to take a look at, uh, you know, various other ways to make money. And, and clearly the most obvious is, is to consult and to you know, put up a shingle and, and say I'm available. Can we talk a little bit about uh, just what it takes to actually build a business and, and just a little bit about the entrepreneurial mindset? Because this isn't just about working at home. It's about being able to actually, uh, you know, shape and form something that's going to have a life of its own. Right. Well, I think entrepreneurism is probably the safest route for people, and especially in an economy like this, because you're not going to fire yourself. And as long as you do what you need to do, you know, you should be able to build a business that that works for you. And and you know, you might it might be difficult in an economy like this, but mm-hmm. if you know what you're doing and and you're good at what you do, you should be able to get through it. So I really feel like people need to take sort of control of their their income and having your business is, is one of the best ways to do that. 
Um, the thing I think that gets people, there's several things, because obviously you need planning. You need to know what you want to do and how you're going to do it. You need to identify, you know, the people you're going to work with. You know, I've had a lot of people. I, I um, did some coaching with somebody who had a great idea for a business. She wanted to be a coach, and she wanted to work with people who were like her um, that were had disabilities and and needed life skills, and I thought, you know, that's really great, except for this particular group she was looking at. Many of them um, were in a category where they probably didn't have a lot of money. They were living on Social Security and things like that, and I thought, I don't know that they can afford a coach, you know. Um, And so you kind of have to look at, um, you know, is the market you want to work with, not only do they have the money, but are they willing to spend it? on you <laughs> type of thing. Right. So there's a lot of research that goes in. I had another person who wanted to do an errand business, and and everybody was telling her, oh, yeah, I'd love for somebody to go pick up my stuff. But would they actually really pay for that? You know, it, it all sounds like a great idea. But when it comes down to are they going to fork out, you know, money for it, are they going to do that? Um, so really knowing your market and knowing are they going to spend money. But then the other part of that is marketing. I, I think people don't really understand that when you have a business, the most important part of your business isn't the service or product you deliver. It's marketing. I mean, that's the thing you have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I put it on top of or at least alongside of your product or service because if nobody knows about you, you don't have a product or service to sell. And I feel like marketing is one area where a lot of people, um, you know, it's sort of haphazard. Um, they don't have a real cohesive plan. They sort of run this ad or they use very passive marketing techniques. And right. sort of expect people to respond to that. So one of the things I really try to get people to understand is marketing is a major part of your job, and you really need to again understand your market. You need to understand what makes them tick, and you need to get your message in front of them every single day. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, when I went out on my own, uh, it, it was really because I was in between successes. Uh, it was actually 15 years ago, but. Um, you know, I ended up just, you know, looking for opportunity after opportunity. But what what I found is I would get bound up in in actually doing the work, and then I would find myself finished and and not having invested any time, which is a very very common consultant's uh, you know challenge. Which is why I ended up building up my firm, you know, so that it meant more than just me. Uh, it's also one of the key reasons I didn't name the business after myself, which is. Uh, Again, another thing that I see happen, people go out on their own, they name their firm after themselves, which immediately alerts everyone that it's, it really is just you. <laughs> and and so, I, you know, I think what's in a name is important. I think, uh, it, to your point, absolutely investing time in marketing is, is critical. Now, you had mentioned in, in your intro that, that you had actually gotten involved in a couple of things that ended up being scams. What, what kinds of things were you looking to do that, that turned out that way? Well, I, you know, I started like a lot of people do when, when they, want, they think, oh, I want to work at home. And for some reason, we've got this idea that we can just go out and sign up and work at home, you know, because uh-huh. um, the scammers will have you believe it. You know, they've got their, you know, sign up and stuff envelope, sign up and do this. And so, of course, because I didn't know what I was doing, I, I fell for some of that. Um, so um, I, I did uh, request information for envelope stuffing once, and um, but it, not all of it was scams. Like one time I bought into a business opportunity, which I thought would be great. It had to do with scholarships, college scholarships. 
I was a social worker working as a guidance counselor, so I thought it was a great fit. But the business opportunity went out of business about a month after I bought my kit. Mm. <laughs> so I was sort of left in the lurch there. And um, some things were legitimate, but they really didn't fit my interest or passions. So while I know people are success- were successful doing those types of things, it wasn't going to be successful for me because I wasn't personally really invested or excited about it, um, which is another thing I talk to people about that, you know, working at home in a job you hate is still awful. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, uh, Good point. <laughs> um so you, you're better off to, and most people I know who work from home, they work at home doing something they love or something that they, you know, they took a job skill and converted it and, and they enjoy it better because they're the boss of it now. Um, I really haven't met anybody who is successful working at home that just sort of signed up for something and it turned out well for them. Mm-hmm. type of thing even if they did sign up for something you know like a business opportunity or something like that um ultimately they ended up loving it you know which is why they're successful well you make a comp- couple of interesting points uh in in the early part of the book about talking about the disadvantages of working at home and we already mentioned longer work hours because uh it's natural particularly if you work for yourself um you know to after dinner, you know, to be drawn back in and just wrap up. Just a few more things, honey. I'm just going to do a few more things. And, you know, it really can suck you in. Um, And uh, obviously, if you don't uh, work for a company, there is no set payday. And, you know, I think that that's the biggest one of of measuring your tolerance uh, for that because a lot of people think uh, that it would be great to work for themselves and, and have skills. Uh, you know things that they're passionate about and, and things that they could do, um, but but actually having cash flow against that is, is a tough thing. And the one other one I wanted to bring up um, is that you might actually develop a dislike for your passion, and uh, you know that to me is is, is a huge danger, uh, particularly if you decide to start a business doing something that you love. Uh, something that you're really, really good at, but then the pressures of having to make money uh, bring about that reality. Yeah, I think that's uh, really true for hobbies. You know, if you have a hobby you love, and, and of course there's millions of stories about people out there that have turned a hobby into a really profitable business. Um, but again, if it's something that you do because it relaxes you and sort of recharges the batteries type of thing, you do want to think twice about, you know, turning it into a business or you might want to really think about how for example, if you are if you make, I don't know, if you're a crafter and there's a craft that you make, you know, to turn around and make the amount you'd have to sell um, to be a successful business, that would make it, after all, probably no fun. But maybe you could, you know, instead, you know, create a, a class, you know, teach a class on how to make this craft or right. an information product or something on how to do this craft. So it's it's related to something that you're interested in, but it's not the actual thing that has brought you so much enjoyment that you don't want to worry that mm-hmm. it will be no fun, you know, if you turn right. it into your your job. So, um, I, yeah, I find that with hobbies the most, people really need to be careful. But, like, if you're an accountant and you hate accounting, you probably shouldn't start an accounting business either. Right. Unless the things you hate about accounting don't involve numbers and math. You know, if the things you hate about accounting are your boss, 
or your commute, then maybe it might be a good idea. Right, so. right. And and to the point that you make again in the early part of the book, you talk about the advantage of advantages to working at home, being controlling your time, earning what you're worth. Well, maybe not in this economy because uh, I, I find, <laughs> so particularly I find my women. fees have gone down significantly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, but everybody's has, you know, a lot of people don't even have a job. Um, My income, uh, you know, went down as well, but I think particularly for women and particularly women that you address, you know, professional women who still earn less than men usually doing the same job. Right. Um, even if they've been there longer sometimes. You know, there was that mm-hmm. lawsuit a couple of years ago um, in which, you know, she uh, one, a first-year person was getting made, paid more than her, and she'd been there, you know, 10 or 12 years. Right. Um, and, um, you know, that's just not right. And, and what we're seeing, and I'm sure you know this, that when you look at the success of small businesses or businesses owned by women, they are outpacing businesses that are being started and run by men. And I think part of it has to do with that, that finally, you know, we get to be in control of that and, and they're very good at what they do. And so they are starting to earn what they're worth. And a lot of times they're getting paid more than they would have ever been paid you right. know, at a job. So. Well, just to uh, just to wind down here, and then I want to make sure we have time for a couple of questions. Um, the other three points that you make about the advantages to working at home are, are that you really do, if you're going out on your own and not just telecommuting, you really do get to create the ideal career. And, and I think that that's really what the draw is for most people, you know, finding something that will nourish your spirit and, and that there is never a dull moment. Um, and, and it really does challenge your mind. And, and if you can get over those problems or those challenges of, of getting yourself organized, keeping yourself on pace uh, with what needs to be done, you can actually set your mind to creating or being more creative and solving problems and, and doing them quickly, which is you know, the entrepreneurial way. You can't take you know, three or four weeks to, to work through something. No. Duct tape. You need like mental duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That sounds like the, the name of a new book. Um, well, I do want to uh, check and see if we have any any questions. And I see that Lisa and Michelle joined us while we were talking. So, uh, do we have anybody who has a question for Leslie? And uh, Leslie, just uh, the the two people who just joined. In fact, why don't uh, I go ahead and and have Michelle uh, introduce herself because she she works at home significantly, and uh, Lisa is also in between successes. So, hi Leslie and everyone on the call. Um, this is Michelle, and I work from home probably ninety five percent of the time, and can relate to a lot of uh, what you've talked about in in being organized and having the right space and a husband who thinks that just because I'm at home, I'm able to just participate and, and, and do everything with him. And it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't work that way. Um, so I, I share a lot of those challenges as well. Um, I don't have any questions, but you certainly have uh, uh, shared a lot of insight that um, will be very helpful as, as I continue to do this. So, Michelle, what's your organizational secret? Um, compartmentalizing, that, that there is a file for everything. And so when I know what I need, when I, you know, what I'm working on, which client I'm working on at that point, I can readily go and find what I need as opposed to, to keeping everything generic, um, you know, by open items or completed projects. It's all by client for me. 
Um, so that's that's one of the the good things that works. Um, mm-hmm. The the other thing is is talking about companies and and convincing companies to to let you work from home. I was very fortunate in that we're headquartered in Utah and we downsized significantly here in Orlando. And it was our one of our very senior uh, founders who said, on the days that people are at clients, you don't have to drive in. Now, not that I had been, but the fact that he brought it up, you know, this was back when gas was $4 a gallon, um, that was great. You know, they came to me and said, don't feel obligated to be in the office. As long as it all gets done, they, I've been very fortunate that, that they're not concerned about it. Um, but thank you for the ideas. Well, I, I think that's great, and, and I think more companies are starting to open their eyes to some of the advantages to, to telecommuting. So, um, good for you. Yeah, I, I've had people when I've asked them, "How did you do that?" They're like, "Well, my boss just said I could." <laughs> so, um, that's great. Okay, great. Any other questions or comments? Okay, well, Leslie, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we have put your book onto the Executive Girlfriends Group bookstore, so if anybody is interested in ordering it, it is called The Work at Home Success Bible. And uh, we will look forward to you joining us hopefully at another time as, as uh, a participant on the egg calls. You're welcome anytime. Oh, great. Well, I appreciate you having me on the call and, and the opportunity to meet all of you. Okay, terrific. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.